Listener Production. You are listening to episode 170 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring racer Will Power. Let's go. 2011, Franchetti leads. You're in second, so you've got another opportunity for a championship. I don't want to ask you too many direct questions about this, but yeah, um, one of your good mate dies in the race, Dan Weldon, and you're involved in an enormous, an enormous crash. Will I, I don't know how you are talking about this or whether you'd avoid talking about it, but um, from from your memory, what happened in that race because it became so much more than a championship. Obviously, they had to stop the race. Points as they run right now, Frankiti's favour. The challenge for second place getting a little more interesting as Marco Andretti looking to the outside. We go into Vegas, still really close in the points, and the style of racing that it was, you know, I recognise in practice um, was insane. It was easy, man. You could have jumped in and done it. Well, I don't know about that, but anyway. You you drive out of the pits and you're just wide open on the white lines. Easy. It's like racing on a bloody highway. That's the style of racing it was. It's called pack <laughs> racing. It's like Talladega, except in, in open wheel cars. And, um, and it was a public driver's meeting as well. So no one could put their hand up and say, do you realise this is absolutely insane? Because that's what it was. It was like, this is insane. And to me, I, all I could focus on was the championship because, you know, I had to block all this, all that out that, yep, this is stupidly dangerous and we shouldn't be doing it. it dangerous because of the speeds? Dangerous because of the speeds and the fact that you're three wide and bloody ten deep. That's no joke. Okay. Three wide, ten deep, wow. eleven deep because it was like Jeez. more than 33 cars, like 36 cars. And they're all just wide open. You sit on someone's ge- gearbox, no... <clears throat> had so much grip that the air didn't matter. And Looking for Dan Weldon. Started 34th in this field. He has moved up 10 spots. You're on board with him. And one thing he was worried about going into this race was all that dirty air created by 34 cars. But right now, the position he's in, he actually has a small advantage because everybody else is... And the inevitable happened. The thing that was eventually going to happen with the way that we had raced the last decade... Uh, happen. Which was the biggest crash you've ever seen. Oh, multiple cars involved. Oh, my. It looks like Dan Weldon may be involved in it. And, um, yeah, just started with two guys at the front touching and then you've just... Just mayhem. Eddie, you and I spoke about this this morning on the drive-in. Just this amount of cars, the speed, just the chance for what they call the big one. And what happens in conditions like that, You, when you're even, if you're 300 yards behind that, you cannot stop these cars. What, the only option you have is to try to avoid it, and it was Im- impossible to avoid anything. Anyone who wants to you know, go on YouTube and watch that, it's insane. Well, you're in the air, aren't you? Yeah, at that point, I'm like... You know, I'm slowing up as all this is happening and then I get up on the back of someone and I just start, I just take off. And you saw Will Power, his car involved as well. My, my, my. What a, what a mess. That's Townsend Bell that was, I think his car... Does it happen fast or does it happen slow? It, it actually seemed pretty slow because I'm like, 
uh-oh, this is it, I'm going to the catch fence. That's your biggest fear when you're racing those super speedways, getting up in the catch fence. One of the cars actually flew for about 200 yards in the air. The car just rips to bits and you're lucky if you get away with no, you know, with minor injuries, but, you know, in general you're going to have some serious injuries. Well, there is debris everywhere. You can see just how many cars are literally torn apart. Came to a sliding stop as a car comes sliding past me and stop looking at this car. I don't know why it, stru- it just it just struck me as this car slid past me. It's like, I reckon someone was killed in this accident. I don't know why I thought that. I think it was because of what I saw when the car went past me because I saw the visor hanging down on the driver. Um, and, yeah, sure enough, it was... Uh, and the driver in front of me was Dan Weldon and... He'd gone up in the catch fence and a, and a bar had got him right there in the head. Red flag is out here at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on lap number 12. And from high above, you can see the carnage. Yeah, yeah, go. PTSD from that. Yeah, it's bad. On that, on that Will, I've got... Strange, you won't have seen this. This has just come out. And he just sent it to me. I just have been commentating the Cricket World Cup with a fellow that you know and a friend of mine as well, Shane Watson. And he's written a book called Winning the Inner Battle. Yeah. And it is it, it is about the mindset on cricket. But he talks about the fact on the back, a chance meeting with IndyCar champion Will Power changed everything, prompting Shane to work with world-renowned mental performance coach, Dr. excuse my pronunciation, Jacques Delaire. And he talks about in the book about a very open conversation he had with you at I think it might have been a rugby league's awards night. Yep. And you were describing to him the effect that that crash had had on your professional life, your personal life, your life in general. It's uh, It says here, uh, we were sitting next to you. Will started talking about how all aspects of his life had been affected by the death of a good friend. As we were talking about Dan during a race, it had affected his performances, it affected his relationships, and it had broken him. And Shane talks about he was seeing parallels between his experience and, and the death of Philip Hughes, the, the cricketer. It's an amazing book. Um, people should check it out, Shane Watson, The Inner Battle. So yeah. it, it, it had a, a tremendous effect on you. Obviously. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was a very dark off season, very because that was the last race of the season. Um, I'd never liked the pack racing super speedway stuff, so you're starting to question whether you even want to do this. It's a tough situation because on one hand, at that point, I was the quickest guy in the series, I had great chances to win a lot of races and championships. And uh, I was driving for the best team and getting paid good money for me at that time was, you know, as a young guy, it was amazing. And on the other hand, you were aware that, yep, every four years someone's killed, every year someone's seriously injured. That Those are the stats right now. I did them in my head. You look back, it's just simply every four years someone was killed and, you know, about every four years and then... Every year someone was seriously injured, whether it's broken pelvis, broken back, severe concussion, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it was it was getting into the car, getting in the car on any of those ovals and, and just wondering, you know, my wife would say it like when I'd hug her before I get in the car, it's just like, yep, you, you could she could tell I was thinking 
thinking like this might be the last time I'm, I'm alive. I would get in the car thinking that. Like, well, I'm getting in, I'm doing it. This might be the last time. This might be the last time I'm alive. That was the mindset. It was crazy. But I actually thought that I still do. I still know that. You still have to battle with that, getting in the car. Um, and uh, it never gets easier, that horrid, sick feeling. But you get it and uh, you shut it out. Very good at shutting that out. Uh, yeah, and you do your job to the best of your ability. But, yeah, back then, oh, pretty, pretty, uh, yeah, I look and just surprised. I just kept going and going and going. I kept doing it and still doing it, yeah. Yeah, I suffered with some fear, anxiety for a long time, really did. What, what, what does that mean for you, anxiety, in a, in a sense like that? Like it's quite difficult to listen to, to, to you even describe getting in the car thinking this could be the last time I see my wife. That's pretty hard to hear. Yeah, and that was the truth, 100%. It was the truth because I knew the stats, I knew how dangerous it was and you wouldn't be human if you weren't kind of thinking no. that. You wouldn't be like, yeah, you'd 100%, you're like, and it's still like that's, you know, you get in that car on race day at Indianapolis, which is the fastest over we do, super speedway, and it's just, you just you never feel good. So how did that anxiety man- manifest itself in you, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I was already very anxious anyway because um, I reckon some of my anxiety came from I have so much to lose, but that was another different anxiety. Uh, yeah, grab- I really thought of death a lot. Really, really thought of death, dying, what happens, all this a lot. Like when I think back then, I did, did it was something that was often thought about for me um, and almost came to accept it maybe that, yep, yeah, um, you know, well, if I die, I haven't missed out that much. It's only, you know, everyone dies anyway or you try to reason with yourself for why you might get in and do this. Um, and then you get in and you'd race hard and you forget about it. And right. yeah, it's funny, but but yeah, I suffered from severely from anxiety. I suffered uh, in in twenty sixteen and seventeen were the worst years of my life. I almost many times in those in 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 sixteen, uh, I would my wife would be on the way to the track. I remember one time racing at Iowa with Novel. And I said, I'm going, I'm going to, to Tim Sindrick, who's the team president. I'm going to, I'm calling him right now. I'm, I'm going up to see him. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping. I can't race. I can't race anymore. I'm done. And she'd have to talk me off the ledge. Like, look, just get in, do the first couple laps, just see how you feel. And I get in and end up doing really well. But that was many times in that season that happened. I'm like, I'm just, I can't, I, you know, I'd say that. I'd be like, Saying, well, I've got to, I'm going to have to go tell them I'm done. I cannot race. I can't race anymore. I can't do this. I remember getting in the car at Pocono in 2016. I hadn't slept all night. From the world-class competition of the Olympics to the international stars of the IndyCar series, the battle to become the next IndyCar champion continues today at the tricky triangle known as Pocono Raceway. I felt like I was, ha- I was having a panic attack, which makes you feel like you're on drugs because you kind of shallow breathe. I got in the car like that, like so panicked. Of course, the championship battle, Kevin, has been intense on track between teammates Simon Pagino and Will Power, but neither one has qualified as well as they'd like today. Will Power here in eighth, 
Simon Pagnot in 14th, however. And then went and won the race. Talk about coming back. They've worked on this number 12 all day long for Will Power. Came through the field twice. What a great run. Championship focus on his mind. Chevrolet, Will Power, claim the victory at Pocono. And when I was done, I was so exhausted, but that was what I was going to. I remember after, at the end of 17, I said to uh, Liz, my wife said, unless I can take care of this, which is the anxiety, I have to stop. I can't, I can't do it. I said that to her in the off-season. Unless there is a way for me to get over this or work out a way because I can't handle this pain anymore, it's too much. It's just, it's like getting up and having to speak in front of thousands of people for the first time in your life ever, but you have that all the time. That's the sort of anxiety. It's worse than that. Worse than having just like your worst fear, your worst fear you're having to do or something, like you're having to go do something ridiculous, like walk across a wire on a building or something. That's the sort of anxiety I had. And uh, But I worked it out in that off-season. I got better. It was better. A lot of meditation. How? how did you work your way through it? Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of mental training, learning how to block stuff out. Um, uh, I worked with Jacques Delaire, which I had done for a while, and uh, got so good at meditating. This is this is this is what made me really good at meditating. Got so good at meditating because my anxiety trigger was so strong. If I'm sitting there meditating. And my mind went one-tenth of a second forward or backwards. It was just on. It's like having a needle stuck in you every time. If you're meditating, right, you've got to be 100% in the minute. You're not. You're just witnessing the breath, right? So if I, if I went like one-tenth, if my mind went anywhere but the breath, just like a, that strike of anxiety that I had so strong for so many years, it just built up such a strong reaction to it that it made me really good at, at meditating because I had a trigger that would tell me immediately if I was out of, if I was not in the moment, if I was 100% not in the moment. I got so good at that. I got so good at breathing myself to sleep. I got so good at all that stuff because I had to and, uh, and then just got better, got better at it. Mentally, maybe very mentally strong in, uh, in a lot of respects to have to deal with that. And then just that trigger slowly just dissipates and then you don't have it anymore. And you can't even remember how it was when you had it. It's so gone. If you every now and then you get it back, but, and then you go, oh, yeah, this again. But, uh, uh, yeah, I actually gained so much respect through those, particularly in 16 and 17, for people with mental illness because it, it sucks. There's no hiding from it. It's right there. And you can't do anything, go anywhere. There's no way to get away with it. You can't, you can't fall asleep. You can't. It's just the worst. Like people who grapple with that every day, are rock stars. People who live with it because it is bloody tough. Bloody tough. I appreciate the depth of explanation um, because it's often role models that people look up to when when they're struggling like the rest of us with anxiety or tension in their life, that when people like you that have a platform talk about it, it makes other people think, in all seriousness, they think, well, geez, bloody Will Power drives at 350 kilometres an hour around a racetrack and if he feels like that, then 
I can acknowledge that I feel like that and can go and get some help. So I appreciate your honesty in relation to that, mate. Yeah. I think the key thing is to know that you... Yeah, in the worst time you feel, you feel like it's never going to end. You feel that way, but it does. Like, that's the one thing I had to keep telling myself because I've been through bouts of anxiety before. This was just on another level, but... Yeah, it does get better at some point. You've got to find those little tiny, you know. And another thing that, that, that got me when I was severe anxiety was with my dad at home. I was back in Australia for a few weeks and he had me sign a couple of things for some friends. And I'm very particular about how I do I'm a perfectionist. So I, when I did that signature, you know, it's, it's this constant pressure of anxiety is just on you all the time. I signed a signature and for that, for just for the time of signing those signatures, the anxiety went away. And I said to my dad, I said, see, that was me being 100% in the moment. That was me just very focused on one thing. It's like walking up a step, you totally focus on it. So you can get away from it if you can get to the moment. You've got to find those little, see, they're little victories when you get that because that gives you the indication like, yeah, you can beat it. You can you can beat this anxiety because because I just did for a split second. I did it, you know, three seconds of a autograph or, you know, a couple seconds of focusing or you're at dinner and you're engrossed in a really intense conversation and suddenly you realise, oh, it's gone, but then it comes back because you're not in the moment, you're thinking about it. So the little victories help. Yeah. So, mate, we, we talked about the accident. And that's 2011. Then 2012, you come in leading, I think it's Hunter Ray by 17 points. We will crown a champion tonight, and it will be a first-time champion. Now, Will Power has been in this position a couple of years ago as he has finished second to Dario Franchitti. So you've come second. You've come second where you've lost your mate. Yeah. And then you crash again. Yes. And you saw Oh, no! Will Power spuns! Power's in the wall! Unbelievable. It's happened again. That is unbelievable. Wow. Man, oh man. And guys, remember what he told me in that interview. I just want to finish the bloody thing. For once, I want to finish the bloody thing. It's not going to happen again. Um, and you lose the championship by three points. And the, the, the vision of your wife watching is hard to watch because as your dream falls apart, you know, she's seeing her husband's dream fall apart. Liz Cannon Power, his wife, stunned like the rest of us are. Then so it's three seconds in a row. It gets to the next year and it comes to the final race again. We spoke about anxiety. Tell me about pressure and I don't know you, but the fear of failure. You've come second, 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 and you're going into the same environment like like Scotty McLaughlin was in the V8s when he lost that famous V8 championship and he was faced with the same thing next year and now you're racing against him. How are you dealing with the mental stresses of going into the final race with it on the line again? Races. How about Will Power? You could feel the pressure in his interview. He comes in as the championship leader, the biggest lead he's ever had before the final race. Will he leave as the championship leader? Charlie Kimball and that big crash. The last two races of that championship were brutal mentally for the reason that I had finished second three times, had a ton of pressure, um, was absolutely, didn't sleep for two weeks, it just really unsettled, um, 
didn't enjoy it at all, those last couple. I was brutal, brutal mentally on myself, all, all bought, bought on by myself. Um, but I finished it, finished it and won the championship and huge load off, huge, huge weight off my shoulders. We look for that Verizon Chevrolet to come to the line for Will Power to be the 2014 champion. He comes down the back straight. This has been the weight. This has been the moment that everybody has spoken about that Will Power has waited for. Three times he has been denied an IndyCar championship. Well, not anymore. Will Power is an IndyCar champion. He does it for Team Penske, and finally the agony's over. What's it like when you cross the line? Um, It was such a long, I think it was a 500-mile race, and I was so drained from focusing so hard that... I'd taken every bit of emotion out. It'd taken everything out of me, so it wasn't. It wasn't a crazy win. It wasn't a crazy battle to the end. Um, I was just holding on all day, and uh, it was a night race, so you're kind of exhausted. And I was exhausted, so it was a, kind of a, a letdown. But just oh, such a relief! Just a what a relief to get that <laughs> tick that box. sure if that was tears. Oh, that was tears all right. 100%. Don Texter and all of the guys. Think about the agony that they've been through. Just a good feeling. I remember that whole off-season, amazing feeling. It really was to, <laughs> to have won the championship um, and, and, and just go into the next season relaxed and knowing, you know, I just have to focus on driving. And, yeah, it was... It was uh, it was really really enjoyable, really enjoyable off season. I, I have to say it's uh, very much a feeling of satisfaction when I, uh, when I won that championship. Back to Will in a tick. We have featured many racing car drivers on this show, including episode ninety, a man who has over two hundred and thirty starts in Formula One, and hopefully, fingers crossed, many more. Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, I went in. I went in plenty of gravel traps as a kid in a go kart. And true story, I, I would cry every time I would I would go off. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I would just break down. Like I felt sorry for Dad, who would have to like run out and come and collect me. And I just felt. I probably felt like a bit of a failure as well when I was young. Like you know, spinning out and making mistakes. And I was probably just embarrassed. So I used to cry a lot when I would make mistakes. Um, but yeah, that's a little little fun fact for you. I don't think I've told told anyone that one. That's Danny Rick on episode 90 of the show. Let's get back to Slick Willie P. Coming into 2018, there's no Australian ever won the Indy 500. And now for, for non-motorsport fans, you, you need to describe to me the Indy 500. So t- 2018, g- give the people listening an indication of the size of the crowd. Yeah. So um, the Indy 500 is the largest single-day sporting event in the world. Um, so on race day, it's it's uh, more than 300,000 people in that, what I guess you call it a stadium, but it's a two-and-a-half-mile track, so it's very big. And, yeah, when you walk out of Gasoline Alley into the – it's basically a stadium on the front stretch there, it, it – uh, yeah, it's an atmosphere, a feeling that you, uh, yeah, that you have nowhere else. There is- 
quite like Indianapolis. The day, the race, the spectacle. Welcome to the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. I remember the first year I did it, it blew me away, just the amount of people and the sound of that. Um, and, yeah, it's the fastest race in the world. It's You average 220 mile an hour in the race, which is in kilometres per hour. So in qualifying we do now 200 top speed is 240 mile an hour. So I want to say it's 300, is that 380? Well, 240 times 24 add six. Yeah. It's like 280. It's 380. 380. Uh, what's the average speed for the race? Yeah, it's around, I mean, we sit at, yeah, 220 mile an hour averages. So um, you have yellow flags and all that, obviously. If you had a full green race, you'd be averaging 220. I got some questions here. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to interrupt you because I got so many questions about this. Will so what what is life like at 380? Is it the the cricketers talk about you face a guy at 140, you know about it. When it gets to 150, it's a whole another ball game. And then when it goes up to 152, 153, they they say it's like 10 kilometre hour jumps. And if someone gets to 160, 158, it, it's just there's no time to think. What's it like in a car at 380 round an oval? Uh, yeah, it's very daunting. It's I always say it's something that you never feel comfortable with. I never, ever feel comfortable on that track. I am always on guard and ready because you know, I've crashed there a couple times and massive hit when you hit, massive hit. Um, so, yeah, always on guard, never... Where, where, where are your eyes when you're travelling at that speed? Like, yeah, where are you I mean, looking you're, at? Just, you're super focused on the points, right? You, you know, it's... It's funny because it is a ridiculous speed, but all your inputs, everything is really, really precise and slow. It's like you're very, very – I lock my elbow into the side so my movements are really small. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, gusts of wind and you look at the windsock, all that matters at those speeds. Yeah, turbulence from the car in front where you run in the dirty wake, in the uh, you know, the wake of the air. Uh and, and yeah, it's it's a very daunting sort of racing. It's not not that uh, yeah, it's not something. It's, like I said, I always feel a little unsettled, which I think I guess is a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm not sure everyone's gone in there going, "Man, this is awesome." <laughs> and they've got your your spotter guy, like like when you when you watch you guys race, there's someone telling you the whole time. A bit, bit like rally. What's coming up next? If there's been an accident, what to look out for? It, do, how do you, how do you um, focus on driving? Also, understanding that someone's talking in your ear. Yeah, no, it's really, uh, it's it's not distracting because it's very relevant information. It's like your okay. second set of eyes. Um, so used to it now. It's just you could absolutely not do it without. So yeah, you you constantly have updates of you know where a car is, how far back, how, you know, is he looking inside, inside? Still there. Maybe your rear bar, rear bar. Looking outside, outside. Outside, outside. Let's go outside. Got a wing on you. On your right rear. Plus two behind. Clear up if you want. Yeah, that's, that's all. I mean, some of the, some of the races I've done in my career are some of the most insane races you will ever do. At Fontana in 2015, it was four wide and it was one of those ridiculous pack races again. Multi-lane, yep. four wide because it was uh, uh, 
they got the formula wrong because it was um, aero. Ma- you're allowed to do your own aero stuff for that year. They they changed the rules, so everyone had a ton of downforce, which sucks a car to the ground, adds grip. And yeah, my spotter was like one looking inside, one outside, two outside. He'd be like one outside, two outside, one one behind. Like it was just insane. Like his brain must have been fried at the end of that. Like if you would have heard the spotter and seen that race, it was insane sort of racing. Um, so yeah, full trust in the guy. Full full trust. He's he's. Uh, I've had the same guy for a long time. I think since '08. And what's the key? So when when you're not, like, I watch I watch a lot of I'm a massive Formula One fan, so I, I understand the sport well. But when I when I turn on and, and watch you guys on the ovals, because I haven't grown up with it, I, I don't understand the skill of what's involved. What's the key to driving at 350 plus kilometers an hour around an oval track? Like, how do you do it? Is what I'm basically trying to ask you, mate. Yeah, the big, the the key is. Um it is everything to do with the car. So your feedback and your adjustments in the cockpit, you have weight jackers on the steering wheel so it can jack weight to either side, either front wheel or diagonal. As you're going. As you're going. So if you've got understeer, you'll jack weight. You know, if the car goes a turn and nothing happens, it's not, you know, hasn't got enough front, well, you'll put weight on the left-hand side. Um, and vice versa, if it has too much front, you put on the right. You have your bars to adjust as well, um, which change the balance of the car. And you have in pit stops the adjustment of the wing. So you've got to be all on top of those tools during the race, understanding what direction the car's going. And then it's absolutely about the driver's feedback and feel for the car because you cannot drive around a bad car on an oval. You just can't. You'll crash. Wrong. So it's all okay. about the car. It really is. You've got to be a good driver and be able to, you know, have really good feel in that small space in the wheel to understand if it's loose or push or um, how to run. Like the best driver is still at the front. But it is a lot to do with the car, a lot to do with your feedback, way more than a road course, way more than a road course. Like you have to get the car right. And it's all to do with your feedback and understanding of that. And that was my biggest gains on ovals. You know, if you're not feeling comfortable and you feel like, you actually feel like you're a bad driver because you're scared of the car, it simply means you're loose. That took me a while to learn. Like, I just felt like I was really uncomfortable with ovals, but it meant the car was loose. You, your ass isn't lying. Like, it's the, the rear is moving. You just, you're just not wanting to put lock into it. So um, I think it's, it's, you know, your your ability to understand at what point in the car corner the car is doing what and what sort of adjustments that need to be made and how you work with your engineer. And then it is hitting, it is hitting all your marks. It is turning at the exact right point, getting down, you know, getting the apex perfectly, you know, working with the wake of the car in front, crossing the wake in the right way. So, you know, you'll come out here, you'll put half a wing out and get some clean air there turn across the weight quickly and then get clean air on the bottom of the car in front. So it's a lot of, like, there's skill in that as well, um, you know, how well you can run in, in, in the air. So, so in the race itself, it's, it, it's hard to follow because it's, uh, it's hard to figure out who's got enough uh, petrol, gas, fuel to get to the end. So there's, I don't know, there's three, four laps to go. I, I reckon you're sitting in third between behind maybe 
Wilson and Harvey. I was watching it. Uh, are you? Do you have an understanding at this stage? There's you know 15 miles to go. Whether they are going to have to pit, and when they do pit, do you start? Do you know they're going to pit, or is it oh, like hang on, they're pitting. I'm 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 leading the race now. Well, in my mind, is they there's. They couldn't turn the fuel all the way up, or they were no way they're going to make it. They just took a huge risk. They got lucky okay. with the yellow, so they just stayed out. They got lucky with the yellow to save a bit of fuel, but in my mind, it was a real long shot that they'd make it. The only way they were maybe going to make it is if it went yellow again and we finished under yellow type thing. But I was going to pass Harvey that lap. Oh, he's going to have to pit. And Harvey, Harvey pits. In the pits. And Will Power takes the lead. Indianapolis with four laps to go. And then I was just going to blow by Wilson because he had no one in front of him towing him. So it was going to be uh, it was going to be a good finish. I kind of wish they didn't pit. Um, but but yeah, those guys had worse tyres than me, and and I had the fastest car. The car was really good, um, and they were probably either saving fuel or full rich and just trying to get the pit stop and get out. And okay, probably they were going to be last. So, so with a lap, half a lap to go, when you know you're about, people say Monaco, Le Mans, and Indy. You know, Fernando spoke Alonso about trying to win the three of the Triple Crown. I, I've, the Americans no doubt think that Indy's the biggest race in the world, and fair enough too. With like a lap to go, half a lap to go, and you're in front, do you have time to start to lose it, or are you just that focused on getting oh, across no, and seeing the flag? Like, I was really, really on. On that day, everything was perfect. Fans on their feet, waving and cheering. He'll never be introduced the same way again. From now on, it'll be Will Power, Indianapolis 500 winner for 2018. Checker flag, Power and Penske win it. I was, yeah, it was one that I knew, man. I knew I was going to win that. I knew it. I don't know how I knew it that week too. I just knew it. Wife knew it. I just knew it. It's weird. You get a feeling. I just knew. I don't know why. Everything was easy. I just had that feeling and woke up in that morning feeling really good. I just knew it was, uh, and it kind of a bit like this championship, I would say, that I just won this year. It's funny. You, you start to get a really good feel for your gut. The older you get, <laughs> you get a very good feel for your gut. You understand that, you know, you just, you know life pretty well by the time you're in your 40s. You know patterns pretty well, which that's what it seems to be. But, yeah, it was, um, that was, that was a box I really needed to tick. And that really helped me, t- you know, you got to remember that's coming off two years of horrible anxiety. Yeah. So that really elevated me for that whole year because, yeah, I reckon that was a big pressure and weight on my shoulders because I'd won so many races, so many pole positions, led so many laps, but never won the one race that you need to win to be regarded as uh, a successful IndyCar driver. So um, big weight off my shoulders. And how is it received by the American public? Like what's the the week after, the two weeks after, like I'm sure now wherever you go, you're introduced as um, the Indy 500 champ. It'd be willpower, two-time Indy champ, uh, but Indianapolis champion. What does it mean to the American people? Yeah, yeah. Everyone in America knows what the Indy 500 is. It's, um, yep, 
it's the greatest spectacle in motorsport, as they call it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, just a big box for me to check. I wouldn't necessarily say it changed your life a ton. Right. Yeah, obviously big prize money. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I would have, let's put it this way, I would have been massively disappointed if I finished my career without winning that race. For me... For me, it was such a big event built up in my mind. So when I won it, if you ever see the Victory Lane celebration, I look like I'm a bit insane. It is such a long way from Toowoomba, Australia to Victory Lane. He gets a hug from Simon Pagenaud. Let's talk about what this means. What a long journey you've had to this place today. Man, I just can't believe it. I changed my attitude a lot after Barber. Very positive. Had a great month. I just can't believe it. I got to thank Roger Penske. Huge, huge weight off my shoulders. Huge feeling of accomplishment. That's what I'd say. Like for a long time, that stayed. And still, you know, just probably just like a nice feeling of satisfaction that you get from yeah. from doing that. It's you know something you work your ass off your whole life for and. Um, it's something that the media has talked about for years to you, like, well, you've won this and that, but you haven't won the Indy 500. Uh, many, <laughs> many, many things that make you feel good about winning that race. So it, it's, it's uh, yeah, it depends on what you talk about when you change your life. Like, you know, it doesn't still have, you know, getting paid to drive a race car no matter what, if you won nothing ever is bloody awesome because what's the alternative? Bloody working from yeah. seven thirty to four thirty at the canvas shop. <laughs> I've done well, that. On that you, I did that. You for said it's um, seven years you, you before I ever left Australia, so I understand the other side. <laughs> I do. You said it's financially rewarding. Is it? Is it uh, public knowledge what you what the check is to win the race or not? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I think it was three million that year to win, but three million. Yeah, three million to win that race. Yeah. Wow. That's a handy check, Will. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah, you split that with the team, but you know, top IndyCar drivers get paid pretty well also anyway. Yep. But what, what What's with the milk? So yeah. for those, look at, Google it, watch Will um, winning, and then you you, you have the, the pint, the gallon, I'm not into um, the old um, measure, and, and you drink milk and it goes everywhere. Is there, obviously there's a historical connection there, but it's the most famous shot. Like you, you hang around at the end of the race to watch the driver drink the milk. Yes. Louis Meyer was the first to drink the milk, I believe, and that, then it became a tradition because okay. mother said that's what you need. Great to tradition. Drink. Great tradition. Yeah, it is a great tradition, yes. Drinking the milk's a, a big deal. Is the is big the deal. is the trophy there behind you? There's a lot of trophies there behind you. Is the Indy 500 trophy there or not? There, there's oh, um, okay, it's over the side. Yeah, there's two two championship trophies in the Indy 500. I can show it's you. A nice one, one, but <laughs> yeah, spin it around, spin it around. Let me see. Where's where's the trophy? Let's see if you can see it. Baby Borg over there. So we're talking at bottom row. That's the baby ball right, right there. Yeah, right there. Oh, wow. And those two are championships, and that's a uh, that's a winning for winning the the Grand Prix. Yeah, okay. and it's actually got the it's a nice bottle, collection. It's actually got the milk bottle there. Yeah. Oh yeah, you have too. You got the milk bottle down the left to the to the side of it. And it's actually nice. It's nice. actually it's actually got uh, it's actually got. Here we go. Yeah, it's got the you got the milk. It's got the water bottle. My wife is screwing up. Uh, when she gets really nervous, ah. when she so yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so point to me, which one's the actual? 
which that so there's the car. Which is the actual Indy 500 trophy? That there, it's called Baby Borg right there. Yeah, it's right. Got a face. That's the face that goes on the big one as well. Yeah. And then you got the milk bottle just to the left. Yeah, that's a milk bottle right there. Ah, oh, mate, that's brilliant. So is it is it a special design milk bottle? Like it looked like it just said "drink dairy" on it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you get. American Dairy Association. So <laughs> I asked for chocolate. <laughs> I asked for chocolate milk. I asked for chocolate milk and never never got it. Yeah, no, it was good stuff. <laughs> so how much how much longer, mate? Like. You've dominated it. You won all the big races. Congratulations! You know you, you broke the pole record um, of you know the, the pretty much the most famous name in American motorsport. Um, and he was there, wasn't he? Mario Andretti, yes, Mario was there. Mario comes to most races. He still gets in and takes people for a ride in the two seater. Wow! And still goes hard. He's in his eighties. Wow! Uh, so you've achieved it all. Um, and you spoke about the anxiety getting in the car. You've got you've got a young fella. You just push on because you love it so much? It's a tough question. Um, yeah. I don't know what I'll do if I'd stop. I don't know what right. I'd do if I, if I stopped. It would be, yeah, you get a little taste of it when you stop in the off-season. So, um, yeah. Well, so the fear of stopping outweighs the fear of what could happen in yeah, I know. your day job? Well, they've actually improved the safety a lot with the halo they and have, yeah. the windscreen. So I would say yep. the last two fatalities would have been prevented because of that. So that makes you okay. feel quite a bit safer. It's still extremely dangerous. It's still going to hit a wall pretty hard. But every time someone got seriously injured, there was a fix for that reason. Um, they fixed, you know, why that was that someone got seriously injured. So they've definitely upped the safety. So you do weigh all that up. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, yeah, I understand the the risks. So, yep, I have a kid, and um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know, if I go in every season, I go into you got to go into full steam. You got to put the work in. You've got to go in with no doubts in your mind. It's too dangerous to to be half-assing something. So, um, mm. yep, I got to you know put a can't be thinking about retirement if you're serious. But yes, I am aware. I know it's it's coming soon. It's obviously going to be you know the next uh, definitely in the next five years, definitely in the next four years. And then back to canvassing. Yeah, mate, go straight back to working. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. No, seriously, when I went back to Toowoomba, I went in and I started sewing. I did a bit of sewing. I did help the boys down the back and sewed up. Uh, Helped them sew up a tarp, um, just to just to know. I hadn't lost it. I could still sew very well. <laughs> hadn't lost it at all. It's pretty cool. Every time I go back and go in and see the guys that I used to work with, they're still there <laughs> rolling away. And I tell them, I tell them, I say, look, I had as much enjoyment when I was working there, full time. Well, well, working there, I'd work. I'd get up, I'd be at work at seven thirty, work till four thirty. I'd come home, work on the race car till eleven. And that was my uh, every day. That's what I'd do. And then I'd tow the car to the track on the weekend, I'd race, I'd be back at work. And I have to say, I really enjoyed that. It's busy all the time. When you don't have anything to do, you realise how important it is that you, you have something to get up for every day. You have to. And so, it, it, you know, you can have 
be paid as a race car driver, but you still got to get up for a job. You got to have a purpose, mm-hmm. um, or you will get very, very down, depressed, and um, yeah, it's no fun having nothing to do. As much as people think that that would be great, it's not. It's really good to do. <laughs> it's really good to be doing stuff. Obviously, doing things you enjoy is uh, is the key, but you're doing something. So along those lines, um, we've had a reasonably deep conversation for two fellas that don't know each other, and I appreciate that. We always finish this podcast the same way. We'll, we have a lot of youngsters listen um, with their parents, and I always say this, whether they want to be racing car drivers or mathematicians or drummers or scientists, you've achieved some tremendous success in your career and you, you've dealt with some real adversity, as we've heard in this podcast for those little ones that are trying to achieve something in their world, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give you is, for for starters, you've got to have a passion that you really enjoy, but absolutely put everything, if you want to be successful at the top of any field, whether it's in business, whether it's in sport, it, it requires a lot of hard work and homework. That's what all the best guys do. They all have that trait of just sort of obsessive compulsive. They're just on it all the time. They want to know everything about it. And, you know, that is the best piece of advice I can give you is the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that is true. And you've got to work smart too. You've got to, you know, it'd be like being a golfer and practicing the wrong stroke. So you've got to get down to... Um, you know, understand what is the exact perfect technique and then work on that and then just, just build your toolbox, Keep just keep at it. I am working in my 40s as hard as I did in my 20s, harder, still improving, still looking at driving details, still doing all the things I did when I was in my 20s, still working hard. And I was able to win a championship in my 40s. I haven't slowed up at all and, and uh, I've just got a lot more experience um, and, and, you know, looking back on it all, it all came down to hard work and passion. And, and you know, you cannot... And I think for anyone in their 40s, you can't lose that desire. As soon as you lose that desire, you're not going to win. you got to still have that fire in the belly that you had in your 20s. But the, the biggest key to me is, is hard work. Find out who's the best at it. There's so much information available on everything now these days with YouTube you can be the best at anything and it just requires the work. It's a great description. It's a great description and it reminds me that I should have mentioned it earlier talking about hard work. You know, the thing that I loved the last two days going back and watching all these races you've won and watching this year's championship and and watching Indy is that another fellow that's been on this podcast, um, Lee Diffie, is calling those wins and to see an Australian win and to hear an Australian calling it, I think there's something extra special about that, Will, and he's so good at what he does and I know he's very even and, and he's not he doesn't show bias anywhere but I've got no doubt when you're crossing the line and he's getting to call it, two lads from Queensland, it's, it's really, really good making their way in America. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. We actually talk about when um – he would call races at Echo Valley in Toowoomba. Yeah. Uh, so he, he um, yep, he's from, from Queensland and knows Toowoomba and it's pretty cool to know. And actually, we, we're, we're quite good friends. I've stayed at his house before and we've uh, had pull-up competitions <laughs> and darts. Pull-up? 
Yeah, we played darts and pull-up competition because he used to be a phys ed teacher. He was an aerobics instructor at one stage. Yeah, no, he was like a, he was like a, he was like the sport, the, what, they call it phys ed still? Yeah, phys ed. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a teacher <laughs> in Brisbane somewhere. I don't know if it was Brisbane Grammar or something like that. <laughs> so he wanted to see my pull-up form. And I beat him, I think. Surely, I can't remember. Surely. Surely you beat Dippy. Yeah. He'll be late because he's a big supporter of this show. Tell me you beat him. Yeah. I, he'll, he beat me at darts, but, um, yeah, I think I beat him on the pull-ups. <laughs> Good. Hey, mate, it's been an absolute treasure to chat with you. I heard you on ABC Grandstand with a lady called Karen Ty after you'd won Indy in 2018, and it just... I love your descriptions and I've had in my mind then to hopefully get you on the show. So I appreciate it coming into a busy time with a young family. Um, have a wonderful off-season, mate. I hope you rest up, uh, stay safe and hope you have many more wins and and just continue to enjoy life and stay on top of things as you've explained to us in the episode. It's a fantastic episode. I think people will get a lot out of it, mate. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I hope, hope people get plenty out of it and... Uh, Continue to work hard. That's that's how you make success. Stay safe. Good on you, Will. You got it. Thank you. A good man. A good man is Will Power. Humble, dedicated, friendly, and just really, really good at what he does. Thanks to Will for being a wonderful guest. Liz for making it happen. May Will race well and stay safe. Thanks for listening. Until next time with Todd Woodbridge. Peace and love. And we can do it. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try If we try, try, try